0: Welcome to Inspired Artist Podcast with me, Porter Singer. In this episode, Christina Lopes is my guest. Christina, who has a doctorate in physical therapy and a master's in public health, is a trained clinician, life coach, and spiritual teacher. She spent a decade working as a neuropediatric physical therapist before becoming a life coach in 2014. So today she seamlessly bridges science and spirituality to help others heal from significant trauma, open their hearts, and live fulfilling lives. She's really a pleasure to talk with. I particularly loved her insights on the dynamic between narcissists and empaths because I think that she just generally has a very empowering message to share about empathy and sensitivity that I really am excited for y'all to hear. Christina reaches hundreds of thousands of people weekly through her popular YouTube channel. So definitely check that out if her message resonates with you. Some of her video titles are the six powerful spiritual awakening stages, how to activate your pineal gland, are you a star seed, how your soul contracts affect you, how to let go of grudges. Christina also helps her clients achieve life-changing breakthroughs through online programs and spiritual retreats. So if you get done with listening to this and you're as interested in her work as I was after chatting with her, you can click the links that I've provided in the podcast description notes to stay in touch. All right, here we go. Well, welcome, Christina. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for you so me. Much it's noon me for you.
0: You are in Lisbon.
1: Yeah, I'm in Lisbon. it's 8 pm here. Yeah, okay. a little bit ahead of, ahead of you.
0: I'm curious about that. How do you? How did you end up in Lisbon? I'm assuming you're not Portuguese.
1: I, I am. I have dual you citizenship. Are. My parents are Portuguese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I was born in the U.S. I spent many years in the I, I was born in the U.S., grew up in Portugal, then went back to the U.S. to go to college, and I just stayed there for for quite a while. And I moved back to Portugal in uh, 2014. So. It was a, a little bit of an, I've been in an, a little bit of an adventure going back and forth between U.S. and Portugal, but yeah, now this is, now I consider Portugal my home. I don't see myself living in the U.S. at this moment. Things change, life yeah. changes.
0: Yeah, interesting. I grew up in France. I don't have dual citizenship, though. Um, my parents are not French, but I had a little bit of a dual culture experience growing yeah. up too.
1: It's always good. It's good. It's good when children know more than one language. I feel like that's such a plus, right? When you start off with the, yeah.
0: Does that, has that influenced what you've chosen to study? Fact well, are- no,
1: not really. Cause I initially, um, you know, I've, I've always had enormous curiosity, you know, I've always been really a seeker and, and always wanting to understand things and all of that. But my, my area of study, my academic background is actually more in the sciences. I was a physical therapist. So, um, yeah, so I, not, not so much languages and history or culture or anything like that, but more, you know, more hardcore sciences.
0: Sure, sure. I, I guess I more meant because you meant you brought up the thing about children. Like you know, our brains are so different when we speak two yeah. languages. I wonder yeah. if like that ever. I don't know. Curious.
1: I don't know if that affected my brain. I don't know. But but yeah, that's what they say. They say children that are exposed to a lot of languages. They, I mean, even even if it doesn't change your brain structure um, or your capacity to learn, it's still so cool to to be able to right to like to be able to connect with different cultures. So Absolutely. it's, I, I'm very blessed. I feel very blessed.
0: So what is, what is your scientific background and how did it influence? Because now you're on more of a spiritual healing yeah,
1: end of that yeah. spectrum,
0: which isn't necessarily the, the route that people choose to take. So I'm really here. Yeah.
1: So um, my, uh, my academic background is physical therapy. So I have a doctorate degree in physical therapy, a a master's in public health also. Um, And so my kind of my area of expertise within physical therapy was uh, neuropediatrics. I worked with children with disabilities for a while. Um, And then, you know, I, I, I guess I already had the, the calling to be a healer, but It was in a specific, uh, you know, kind of clinical area. And then, you know, my life fell apart and I was just like, okay, now it's time for a new path. And so completely changed. Um, so I guess I'm still on the healing path. I'm still a healer, but it's just in a little bit different capacity, but what's, what's cool. And, and, you know, it really is true that the universe never wastes anything, um, even though I'm on a completely different path, uh, initially when I changed careers, I was like, oh, well, there we go. There goes 10 years of university down the drain. Like, what did I need that for? And initially I thought, you know, that I wasn't going to use any of, um, you know, any of what I had learned in college, that I wasn't going to use it for my new career because it was more in spirituality and, and, you know, teaching and all of that. But it's really interesting that, that really the universe doesn't waste anything and so i've i found myself even even as a life coach and and healer i still do pull a lot from my academic background and and uh, i guess it's brought me an ease of being able to just have you know one foot in one world one foot in spirituality one foot in science and being able to bridge those two uh, seemingly divides but they're not divides they're very complementary but it's just easy for me to bridge both worlds. So that's, that's been a blessing, um, especially when it has to do with helping others and teaching, and, and, you know, all of that.
0: Yeah. So did your career with the children, chil- like, do you work with children still or are you No, no,
1: no, no, it was totally, totally, uh, it was, yeah, it was a fresh break. Um, yeah, I worked with children for almost 10 years Um, and then less than that, less than that, um, my, my memories fades me now, but, uh, I started working with, I started working in neuropediatrics in 2005, uh, and I stopped in 2013. So however many years that was, um, And so it was, you know, it was a road of kind of completely changing, uh, completely, completely changing. So now, you know, my clients are vast majority are are adults. I'll have like every once in a while, I'll have some teenagers, you know, like 16, 17, 18 year olds kind of, you know, send me messages and saying they're going through spiritual awakenings because everybody's awakening earlier and earlier now. So, so I will connect sometimes to, to some younger people, but, but definitely not. What I was doing before in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't even I wouldn't even know how to be a physical therapist anywhere, really.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. It's it's fun, it's fun to have many lives too. It's like you, know, yeah, we we have such interesting lives, which is never how I pictured being an adult. I always pictured an adult as like you have one. One thing for the rest of you know eternity, which is just not yeah. the way people are. and that's
1: that's what we're that's what we're t- we're taught, but it, it really doesn't work that way anymore. I think you know so many of us are multi passionate, and you know we just we just go through different iterations of our new selves, I guess, as as we're you know developing and and evolving.
0: That's a great word. I've never heard that before. Multi passionate. Yeah. yeah. So when you work with your clients now with this background, and I was just, I was reading about the, the ways that you, um, help people deal with their trauma. That's, that's very interesting to me. The, the actual kind of scientific basis for that. And I'm. Can you, can you tell me more
1: about that? Yeah, it, it really does help to have that, that healthcare background, uh, especially, you know, what's, what's really come in handy is, is um, the expertise that I acquired in terms of the human body, whether it be anatomy, uh, kinesiology, uh, just, just how the human body functions, you know, as a physical therapist, you have to know the human body inside out. And so, you know, when I apply that knowledge into currently working with people with trauma, it's really been a gift to have that understanding of the human body, because from a spiritual perspective, and from an energy perspective, trauma is housed biologically in the body. So it's just, you know, the body, the human body is kind of my home, really. So it's, it was just easier for me to transition into trauma, um, into, you know, helping people heal trauma, not just as a consequence of, healing my own trauma and then being able to share those experiences with people, but also from the understanding of that, I had of the human body and then applying that, you know, the spiritual understanding into, you know, Hey, trauma is housed at the cells. Hey, you know, when people are traumatized, when, when, when a person has a chakra block, you can actually see it in their body and the way that they sit, the way that they stand, the way that they walk. Um, And so this was just all much easier for me because I had that, I had that clinical expertise um, before I started to do this work.
0: I'm curious, could you give us an example of what that might look like?
1: Yeah. So, um, so for example, really common, um, you know, people that have heart chakra issues or heart blocks. Um, you know, so you don't even have to call it a chakra if you don't, if you're not too much into spirituality, but let's just say someone that's had heartbreak or had, you know, significant loss in their life where they really grieved, um, a lot. And so that can, that can affect the chest area or the heart chakra area. So a lot of times people will, I can tell right away just by them walking towards me that they have a blocked heart chakra because they're usually, you know, flexed forward. They, their shoulders are rounded forward. Uh, they don't walk tall and, and, you know, with their chest sticking out, it's usually, you know, with a little bit more flexed position and you can tell, um, you can tell when, when the, that that's a heart chakra issue. So that's one example. Another one that I see commonly is, um, people who have root chakra issues. So that's the first chakra and the root chakra, translates into a lot of issues with your feet your legs so that lower body area and a lot of times people that have root chakra issues they'll tiptoe <laughs> so they won't they won't walk by striking their heel on the floor like like regularly they'll tiptoe a lot or they'll, they'll shuffle when they're walking um, And so you can tell that just by someone walking, you can tell right away that they're having some issues in the first chakra just by the way that they plant their feet on the ground. So that's another common example that I see with a lot of people.
0: So are you, are you approaching this from the perspective of like, if we alter the, the emotional, then we'll be able to see it in the physical as a metric, or would you go about it backwards as well? Like, let's try not tiptoeing and see if that
1: Mm. So usually, um, and and that's why a lot of times, um, you know, when we do when we do therapies, and for instance, if someone with a if someone with a root chakra issue went to a physical therapist and they started to work on on walking on gait, um, and they started to you know coach them on how to properly walk the person may, may do that correction for a little while, but then they walk out of the physical therapy clinic. And then, you know, a day later or a week later, they're going to be back to walking the way they were because the problem wasn't physical. It wasn't at the level of the structures of the body, um, on a, on a, you know, root level. So when we do the work that I've been doing, I usually start the other way around, which is completely different from what I used to do in physical therapy. So I look at the body for just signs that something's going on spiritually or on an energy level, but then I go beyond the signs and I go to the root cause. So then we go right away to the root chakra, figure out what's going on, what's bothering them, what kind of energy is blocked. So it's, it's even beyond emotional, because usually, you know, the chakras can be blocked by a bunch of different things, not just emotional. It could be past life karma. It could be unhealed trauma that locked the chakra. And so, but, but yeah, generally I go to the root cause and immediately start to, to open up energy in that root chakra. And then usually what happens is the person will actually, the, the, the issue will naturally resolve itself once the energy is corrected. And so the person without any instruction may want from one day to the next, when their root chakra is open, they may start walking normally, planting their heels on the ground and you know, not being afraid of walking and putting their weight down. So, um, you know, it it's, it kind of tends to happen naturally. If the person has a huge blockage that, you know, let's say that they've had a chakra blockage for a really long time, let's say months or years, sometimes the body will actually accommodate to that blockage. And then it, it's a little bit harder to get the body back to full functioning because the, the body's just been used to moving in a certain way. And so then, yeah, we can bring in some body movements and, you know, Know, maybe complementary therapies then would, would be really important. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, I think it's important to go to the root cause first. Um, so we free up the energy and open that up and then deal with the repercussions uh, that have been caused in the body, in the actual physical body.
0: Interesting. So when you talk about going to the root cause, are you asking them questions about it and talking with them? Is that part of the process?
1: Yeah, there's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of times I'm just, you know, usually when the person reaches me, I'm just reading their energy at first. So I already know about 80% of what's going on with them before they even talk. Um, But I think that talking is really important also for the person themselves. So um, because, you know, by asking questions and going into the person's story, you can, you know, you can kind of bring them. They come, they bring to the surface things that may have been repressed in them, and and you know, being able to voice those things and to giving voice to things that maybe they haven't spoken to anyone else, you know, because sometimes I work with people who who have gone through significant trauma, and a lot of times they don't feel comfortable talking about it, even when the people closest to them. And so, so the part about talking through the energy is important for a lot of people because it it gives them that openness to be able to share these things, sometimes for the first time in their life lives. Um, but yeah, but usually my energetic assessment goes way beyond uh, the talking. Um, but, but talking using your throat chakra is a really good way to, to move energy too, all by itself.
0: Do you have, I wonder if it's like a mix or if it's most people come to you kind of knowing what they need to work on, but they just don't know how to deal with it? Or are they just so surprised when they find out what it's going
1: I've, on. you know, I, I I no longer work one on one with people. Um, I did that for quite a few years, and and now I'm doing more, you know, working with groups, and and um, so it's interesting. It's changed a little bit. But when I was working one on one with people, um, a lot of times they came to me with what they thought was their main issue, and then <laughs> after we start to go deep dive, then we figure out that oh, you know, that wasn't really the main issue. You've got this going on, and you've got this going on and this is connected to this. And so, so yeah, usually, you know, when we would, when I would work one-on-one with people and we would finish a consult, sometimes they would be a little bit, you know, like a deer that with, you know, that's just been like flushed with the headlights. Um, because a lot of times so much information came through that, you know, in different directions, sometimes than they thought for some people, yeah, they knew right away. I also work with people who've been on the spiritual path for quite a while. I tend to work with people that, that have been uh, awakened for quite a bit. So they've done a significant amount of work usually. So by the time they reach me, they kind of know what, what the issue is, but a lot of times there are blind spots. You know, I'm, I'm uh, uh, one of the things that, that I love to do is, you know, I, I, I do go get right to blind spots with people. It's, it's one of, one of the ways I like to work with, um, with people is, is through kind of, you know, shining a light or mirroring back uh, something that hadn't been seen before.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's the power of working with another person, even not on a professional level, but just having a conversation sometimes with another person that they can mirror uh, mirror back yeah. to you something you hadn't seen, because it is so hard for us to see ourselves.
1: Totally. Yeah.
0: Do you find that with yourself? Like, do you have somebody that you go to for...
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I, I have no, no issue whatsoever seeking out coaches or seeking out helpers. Um, You know, I've got, got people very close to me who are, who also serve as my coaches sometimes. And, and, you know, I'm, I've always been very, very open with my audience and, you know, with everyone that I teach that I'm learning along the way too. And, and yeah, it's the same issue for everyone, really. It's, it's much easier for us to help other people with their problems than it is to see our own. Um, but I think that that, that also ends up being a blessing, right? Because if you have certain blind spots yourself, you know, with the help of others and with your own introspection and your own ability to go within, you can kind of start to see those things, resolve the issues, heal yourself. And then through those experiences, then you can, you can share with others. Um, so it's, it, I much prefer it this way. I, I, <laughs> I keep telling people I'm, I'm not a guru will never be a guru. I'm just a regular person that's going through her own healing process and then sharing that with others. And, and that's the way I like it to be because, you know, nobody has anything figured out. (laughs) That's my, that's my understanding.
0: That's a great slogan. Nobody has anything figured
1: out. Nobody. Yeah.
0: I was also interested in the part of your, of your bio that talked about being a true empath. Do you feel like talking about that?
1: Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, So I'm, there's a kind of a scale of, of empathic abilities. um, And I, for the longest time, since I was a little girl, I, I didn't realize what I was. So um, I'm what's known as a physical empath, which is someone that I can tell and I can take on, um, energy from someone else. Uh, I, I physicalize it. So if someone has, if I'm talking to someone and they've had a heartbreak or they're grieving, I will feel tightness in my chest. I can't breathe. And, and so I, I actually physicalize energy and that's known as a physical empath. It's more on the extreme side of empaths, um, And so my sensitivity was, I was so sensitive, you know, right from the child and, you know, I had a lot of things going on in my family. It was, it was a a pretty traumatizing upbringing, but even within that kind of that, that family situation in my life as a child, I didn't really have anyone around me that understood what the heck an empath was, you know, you know, and it even had a, had a, you know, uh, raise an empathic child, how to, you know, there's nothing like that. The majority of us are raised by parents who sometimes they are empaths, but they don't know they're empaths and they weren't raised to be empaths. And so it's been this, this long line of, of you know, empaths being raised in the real hard world and, and feeling like they're too sensitive or too fragile for this world. And so that was me for a really long time. I, um, you know, I, I would, didn't really cared. I couldn't be in social situations for too long. Sometimes I would get into a state of panic uh, if I started to have physical symptoms when I was in a group of people. So I'd have to leave. Um, I had all these strategies of escaping (laughs) and I had all these strategies of, you know, which a lot of empaths have today, still today is thinking that being an empath is a weakness, thinking that we need to be protected from a harsh world. There's, There's still a lot of talk Uh, in this way, even in, you know, personal development and spirituality circles, there's this understanding that empaths are um, somehow need to be protected uh, from harsh energies and I don't view it that way at all. and it was really, you know, I'm still a physical empath. I'm still as sensitive as can be probably even more sensitive than I was before. But the difference now is that I understand it as a superpower. And I understand that there's choice in being an empath, which is something that, that a lot of times empaths don't understand that they have a choice. So, you know, sometimes people just have, it's kind of an aha moment for a lot of empaths when I'm working with them. And I say to them, you know, if you walk in a room and you don't like the energy that's there, you don't have to take it on. You can actually dominate the energy your with your own energy. And people sometimes are like, what? I can do that? Because <laughs> the belief is usually that the outside energy is stronger than the empath and they have no power and they just have to escape or they're just too sensitive. And so it's really empowering to know that, If you are ever confronted with energy that is not good for you or that you don't like, or that is dense or low vibration, that you have the choice to dominate that energy and transform it on the spot. So you don't have to run away from anything ever really. And I think that's really transformative for a lot of empaths.
0: Yes, that's definitely an empowering message and definitely uh, Mm -hmm. better than having to avoid all social interaction, which is quite, quite a chore. Um, so do you find that you attract these types of people into your practice more than not?
1: Now, um, now I don't feel like that. I think that there's, there's, you know, I'm seeing more and more empaths, uh, but I guess I'm trying to think, you know, what kind of empaths am I seeing now? I think now probably by the time they reach me, they've already seen, you know, I put out a bunch of videos already about empaths and, and they'll usually reach me if they reach me through the route of being an empath, they'll usually say, Hey, I saw your videos on empaths. And, and so they've already started to do the work to get out of that kind of more victim mentality um, of thinking that they're too fragile or too sensitive for this world. So they've already started to do that work. Um, so by the time they reach me, they're already starting to kind of step, um, step in their power, but, but it's, it's a huge amount of work that I do with empaths. It's is really, it's not about, you know, how they, how do they protect themselves? It, it's about nothing like that. It's really about empowering them to, to project their energy out into the world, to transform energy. Cause that's what empaths are here to do. Really. They're not here to run away They're They're actually here to transform energy. And so if, you know, if I walk into a room and the energy is really dense and really heavy and I run home, I'm not fulfilling my mission as an empath because I'm here kind of, I think of empaths uh, like vacuum cleaners a lot of times, (laughs) not vacuum cleaners, but they're, you know, they're here to transform, to alchemize. So empaths are, are alchemists, really. They're here to alchemize energy. But it's understandable that until they get into their power, the majority of empaths and especially if they don't know they have choice. So if they think that they walk into a room and the energy that's projected onto them, that they absolutely have to absorb it. And that's just the way they are. If that's the way they think, and if that's what they believe, then their their energy is really contracted and small compared to what they are uh, really on a soul level. But when once they move into that kind of empowering place, then there's no stopping them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a really interesting thing that... It resonates, but I don't think I've heard it said in exactly that way that, that empaths are here to transform energy. And totally. It, which is it, it's interesting because to me, the narrative around sensitivity and you know all these like wonderful divergences in how human beings are choosing to live their lives nowadays, the conversation tends to, from what I've seen, revolve around like how do we change society so that we can feel more comfortable?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's a very unempowered place to start from.
1: Totally. Yeah. yeah. So what you're talking yeah. and,
0: about is yeah. oh, go,
1: go ahead. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's actually, you know, if if you hold on to that story, again, you're not fulfilling your mission as an empath because your mission as an empath is not to wait for the world to become more sensitive so that you could walk around and not be bombarded with dense energy. Your role as an empath is actually to transform the dense energy. And so, you know, when you, when you have that kind of understanding, it's, it's not just a, it's, it's a mission that it may seem like it's a mission that is for, uh, for others, right. Like, or for the planet, you know, we come down here and I'm helping to transform energy, but it's also a a mission that there's, it's never just one thing. It's also a mission that's highly individual because the, the moving from, from me feeling like I'm weak and feeling like I'm small and feeling like I'm insignificant and I'm too sensitive for this world, all the way to me as a super powerful alchemist of energy, that road is, it's a road of power. It's a road of sovereignty. And so a lot of times, when we come down here with these empathic abilities, we really are being called by our souls to move from a disempowered place individually to an empowered place individually. Um, and, you know, in my life, this was just, it, it was just, it was earth shattering for me because, um, you know, once I started to purge these beliefs that I was too sensitive, that I needed to be living in a cabin in the woods and I wanted no contact with people, You know, animals are better, no contact with people. I just want trees and animals. And and because I'm too sensitive for this world, once I purged those beliefs that have been programmed in me and I understood that, wait a minute, no, 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 I'm really powerful. And and these empathic abilities are not meant for me to be isolated in the middle of a forest. They're made for me to to bring to people and to bring to the planet um, and that, that really changed everything for me.
0: Do you, have you seen in your, in your, in your work, because I know you mentioned past lives, so it must be something that you believe in that we can talk about. <laughs> um, do you feel like the people who come to this planet as the super sensitive have experienced something sometimes in a past life that has scared them into, you know, into feeling yeah. this way, like they've been persecuted.
1: Absolutely. And, and I've worked with a lot of people that have past life wounds around, uh, around being an empath on in multiple, uh, multiple lifetimes. And so usually what happens is, you know, will will for empaths, especially this, I've had a lot of female clients who were uh, women, for instance, I've, I've helped to clear this wound on a lot of women. So the, you know, the women that were persecuted, burned at the stake, you know, the, the witches uh, air quotes on that one, um, sometimes you know, people really have, don't have the understanding that if they Mm -hmm. suffer physically in a past life, especially if they are an empath, because an empath is already super sensitive. So imagine, you know, I've, I've, I've shared this example uh, with, with a lot of my clients, in trying to help them understand where their fear of coming into their power in this lifetime comes from. And I just ask them to imagine, you know, what it must feel like to a super, super, super highly sensitive, even a physical empath like me, super sensitive empath burning slowly alive. And a lot of times what happens is people are going through these horrific traumas right when they're about to die. And so they don't have the opportunity. They transition. So they, they're burned alive. They transition out of body. And that trauma is then carried forward because the soul never erases everything. You're a continuum, multi-lifetime continuum. And so if you don't resolve something in a past life, you're going to resolve it. Eventually your soul always brings it forward to be resolved, whether it's in this lifetime or the next lifetime, part of the soul's mission on the planet is to actually help resolve unresolved issues from the past. And so a lot of times, they, if they disincarnate from a traumatic experience, like this example that we're using about, you know, being burned at the stake, they come into this, uh, they didn't have time to process it while on earth. And they come into this lifetime with an extreme fear of coming into their power, extreme fear of speaking their truth, of, of, of saying what they feel and what they believe, because there's gonna be that little chip, I call it a karmic chip, that's gonna be saying, you know, danger, danger, Do not come into your power. Don't allow yourself to be seen. Don't allow yourself to to come into your power and and for others to see you that way because danger, this danger and that chip, that karmic chip will actually heavily affect a person's life. And so then it's kind of an aha moment for them when they come into that understanding that that this happened to them, whether it's burned at the stake or whatever uh, whatever traumatizing uh, thing that they've been through when they come to the realization that this has happened to them and they start dissolving that karmic chip and they start to come into the recognition that I'm in a different timeline now. The past is the past and I'm in a different timeline. And in this timeline, it is necessary for me to come into my power. It's, our, it's my solemn duty to come into my power and everything is okay. And I'm safe. There's a lot of body work involved in this because the person has to feel safe on a biological level. So as that karmic chip is just kind of disintegrating, then a lot of times I do mantra and affirmation work with people and actual body work, you know, where they're standing in front of the mirror and they just say, I'm safe in this lifetime. Everything's fine. It's safe for me to come into my power. It's safe for me to voice what I believe. And it's a slow process of the body starting to feel comfortable and then them moving more into their power.
0: That's really really cool um, to hear about the uh, your, your perception of the past lives too because I've, I've heard that, but I was really curious what what you thought about that. What does the because I know that this is this is something too that you that you go in that you deal in the the space of the brain and I'm curious what what that looks like like what the brain of an empath looks like if, if there is a difference or <laughs> If it, if it I don't know if to do it, with your
1: brain. I don't know if it's a structural difference. I think that I will say that that the the brain may be slightly different in the sense that um, it may have a lot of stories, protective stories around around the idea of being an empath um but what i what i can say from experience is that um the nervous system of an empath is different no question whatsoever and the brain is part of the nervous system but the empath has an extremely excitable nervous system a very very sensitive nervous system and and an empath especially an extreme empath Needs to have have a lot of self care practices to just keep that nervous system nice and calm, so it's not overloaded. Um, and you know, empaths who are on the extreme side with this kind of excitable nervous system, they just need to learn some practices. That's really all it is. Um, I think another issue too for for um, for empaths is, and this is kind of goes hand in hand with uh, with the nervous system is. Um, they're, they're also prone to stress um, and, and not knowing how to modulate stress, not knowing how to, um, you know, center themselves. Um, and it's because of the excitability of that nervous system also. Uh, but on the level of the mind and on the le- level of the brain, a lot of times what's going on is, you know, it's the home of the ego also. And so a lot of self-protection mechanisms can happen up there. So if I'm, you know, so the stories that we were just talking about a little while ago. So if I, if I'm born an empath and as a child, I learned that I have all these sensitivities, but I don't know how to explain them on an intellectual level. I just know that I'm super sensitive to everything and I feel the world and I see the world and, and, you know, in this kind of hypersensitive way, a lot of times the mind will start to create stories around that. And it's usually defensive stories. So it's usually, Uh, you know, like the stories that I had, if I walked into a room and the energy was too heavy, I would say, get out of here. My mind would immediately start to say, get out of here. You need to go home. You need to be alone. You need to, you need need to get out of here. And so my mind was just, I would go into loop until I actually left the physical space. And, And if you notice those stories, they may feel like a protection mechanism on the part of the mind, but they're actually creating more panic in the body because your cells are listening to what your mind is saying. And so if your beautiful body is listening to your mind saying, get out of here, danger, 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 the body will then respond with with an increase in what's known as the sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight or flight uh, response. And so immediately your, your body will say, oh my God, red flag, get out of here, danger. And so your heart rate will go up. You you know you can have a panic attack. All kinds of things will happen, um, but it's 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 as kind of a byproduct of the stories that I'm saying uh, in my mind about about the situation. So that's that's kind of how I I see the mind of an empath. Um, I think also empaths have a higher tendency to create disempowering beliefs in their minds about themselves. So, and it's because again, they've been fed this story that an empath is too sensitive for this harsh world. I've heard that so many times. And, and when you instill that in someone that, that, that you are, t- I'm too sensitive for this harsh world, then that starts to be the foundation for other disempowering beliefs. So from, from that belief to I'm weak is a very short jump. <laughs> and so the empath will start to believe they're weak Uh, they'll start to believe that they are fragile, that they need protection from the outside world, that they need to have some kind of protection. And we still in empathic circles, there's, there's so much talk about how to protect yourself. And I'm using air quotes for the people that aren't watching on YouTube, but are listening. I'm using air quotes because I don't even like to use the word protection. An empath does not need to protect themselves from anything. Um, so there's a, a really, um, a mantra that I repeat in all of my empath videos and, and in my live events, I just repeated this actually, um, in the live events that we did recently that really resonates with people is when you're, when you're working to come into your power as an empath, uh, there's a mantra that I love to use. And it, the mantra is there's no energy stronger than me. And, and I, you know, so helpful for people that. when they're training, yeah, when they come into a room and if the mind will start going, I don't like this energy, uh, I'm feeling this energy, uh, I don't like this energy. Instead of letting themselves go into that immature, childish kind of loop, they immediately just stand tall, they close their eyes, they take a, a nice deep breath, and they say, there is no energy stronger than me. And that immediately calms the system down and allows them to start projecting their energy outward instead of just being a sponge that absorbs everything from the world.
0: Yeah, that's a great mantra. When you were talking about the, the disempowering self-talk that is indicative of uh, being an empath, I guess, is that something you find a lot in artists or it, does that come in other fields too? Cause that's something I notice a lot in, I'm a musician. Mm-hmm. I, I remember my, my ex-husband Telling me once when he was seeing musicians come off stage that he's never seen people as critical of themselves, mm-hmm. ever. And mm-hmm. I wonder whether like the artist empath thing goes together with the criticism.
1: Or well, there's a ton of that. ton of artists that are empaths because you know uh, any kind of uh, field of artistry is just a beautiful beacon for for empaths because a lot of times these are areas where the empath can express their sensitivity, right? So. So there's nothing better than an empathic person to be an extraordinary songwriter, or composer, right? Because they're able, this is just an example, but through their sensitivity, they're able to connect to their emotions. They're able to connect to depths within themselves that non-empaths have more difficulty. So a sensitive person is, is very naturally drawn to art, to you know, music, to all kinds of, of areas in the arts because it's a way for them to express themselves but also there's you know a lot of times there's a a solitary uh you know trend to to the arts right so if i'm in a studio alone and i'm painting i'm alone you know if i'm if i'm composing a song i'm in studio sometimes i'm alone so there's i think that sometimes going into the arts is a great escape mechanism for a lot of empaths too um but i think that the, the the disempowering thoughts um it's it's just it's just kind of a it's a normal thing when you're an empath and you aren't raised to understand your empathic abilities as a superpower um and and you know and i think for for um For artists, too, there's there's also templating that comes on top of them from a society that for generations has considered the arts a secondary means of living. So, you know, we still have sayings, you know, like, oh, a parent will say to a child, you're not going to be a painter, you're not going to be a musician. What are you going to do? Go play music in the in the subway station or something. You can't make a living doing that. And we still hear that a lot. And so, so if you're templated as a child, because usually when, when we have this artist, these artistic tendencies, they're, they're going to start being expressed, expressed when we're children, really, it's pretty early on that these gifts start to be expressed. And so if our gifts are starting to be expressed and we go to mommy and daddy, and we show them our beautiful painting and they like throw it across the room and they say, you know, this is just, you know, crap. You're not you know, this is just for fun, you need to go, you know, read about science and, and, you know, do your homework, because that's what really is going to be important for your future. When children start to hear this, then they're going to start to create that disempowering voice inside of them that that tells them, you know, going down this path is is wrong to begin with. And then if if you if you go down there, then all of these secondary voices, it's pretty easy to to kind of come up with those.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that exists in the collective. <laughs> that's that's really, i would never really thought of that as um, that idea that you just shared. I, I really love that. So that that the arts, well, first of all, the arts are an escape mechanism for empaths. I've I'd, I'd never thought about that. It can
1: be, not always, seems. but it can be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but the other one is uh, that that empaths and artists have both been sort of marginalized in society as like, <laughs> almost like, like, well, they can't really help themselves, you know, like, yeah, those poor little things. Little extra. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Huh. Wow. So what do you think about the, the relationship between, you know, cause the word empath for me, and maybe this is a better first question, then I'll get into my second one, but the word empath for me was pretty new. Like a few years ago, I started seeing it on social media. I mean, this was not, you know, something I grew up hearing is, is it new? Is I
1: don't, I don't think it's new. It's been talked about for a while. I think that now um, there's, there's more of a stage for that. And there's more of a ability for us to understand what we actually are. Um, And that conversation, I think it wasn't positive until recently. So, you know, empaths used to be called by different names. They used to be called sissies when they were in school and, and they cowered or they would be, or their families would say, you know, you're just too sensitive if they if a child cried too much or, so there was different ways, different names that was given to, to this. And usually it, it, it wasn't a compliment. <laughs> it was a criticism, um, but empaths, you know, have, have been talked about for a while now. I think that the conversation is now shifting though, the, 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 the understanding of what it means to be an empath has shifted, um, to understand that, that having empathic abilities is a superpower. That's definitely more recent. And, and I started to do videos on empaths. I would say maybe three years ago, something like that is when I started to do, I did a series of, of, of four or five videos on empaths. Um, and it was, you know, I remember reading the comments, you know, thousands and thousands of people saying that, that, you know, they had read a bunch of things and that had seen other videos about empaths, but that they hadn't really connected with the empowering part of it, that it was still, you know, that, that, The beliefs out there about what it means to be an empath were still a bit disempowering and it was more a conversation about how to protect yourself from the harsh world. Um, And so that I feel like is changing a lot and that's more recent understanding that being an empath being sensitive it's not a handicap. It's not any kind of, you, there's nothing going on with, with, uh, you know, it's, it's not your Achilles tendon being sensitive. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's a superpower.
0: Okay. And now I have a subset of that question and then I'll get to my other one. Cause I did want to ask you about that. But when, when I think about all the things that you're sharing, I feel like that fear in the non-empath, like when, when someone doesn't, maybe maybe at the point where they don't know that they're an empath and they feel they are too sensitive or whatever, there is this kind of feeding mechanism between the person who's like, what is going on with, you know, like, I don't understand how this just happened. <laughs> you know, what provoked this because of the, the lack of that depth of feeling or the, you know, the less sensitivity in that person. Um, is, is that something that we have all encountered and has that played a part in how we have viewed ourselves as empaths.
1: Oh yeah, totally, and and you know, kind of going back, I think technology really helped too. Because going back to before technology, before Instagram and Facebook and cell phones and internet and all of that, which which wasn't very long ago, right? Like, what are we talking about? The internet, like nineteen nineties or something like that. So it hasn't been very long ago that technology really started to exponentially connect us all. But before we were able to be connected. Empaths were in a in a world that was dominated by non-empaths because there are more non-empaths on the planet than there are empaths. Empaths are still a smaller subset. Now, it, I guess the the question is: Is that really true that empaths that there are more non-empaths than there are empaths? Is it perhaps a question of that maybe there are a lot more empaths than we actually know and recognize but they've just been templated to not be able to even connect to those sensitivities so so the jury's out on that but the the point here is that empaths have have felt kind of marginalized in the sense that they were a minority um, and they still possibly are a minority. And so it it wasn't until we started to connect with each other and we were starting to be able to watch YouTube videos and connect on Facebook and connect on Instagram and understand that, wait a minute. The way that I am, that person feels the same way too. And that person and that person. And and then you start to realize that instead of there being something wrong with you, because that frequently happens when someone's in a minority, right? Like when you have a majority of people pointing fingers at you and saying, you know, you're just, I don't know what's wrong with you. You're just weird or sensitive or whatever that finger pointing causes us to second guess, you know, maybe there's something seriously wrong with me, but then when you start to connect with other people who feel the same way you do, then you realize, wait a minute, it's not just me. So there isn't anything wrong with me. Um, and I think technology and the ability for us to connect has really helped kind of empaths come out of the closet really and not think of their, um, of their issue as, um, you know, their abilities as, um, you know, any kind of weakness or anything like that. That's, that's been more recent, I think.
0: I was going to ask you too about, so this is what I was, what I was getting to, um, the relationship between the narcissist and the empath. I think when mm-hmm. I first heard the word empath, I think it was probably always paired with narcissist, mm-hmm. like as if it's this, you know, always linked together. And I wonder what your
1: what yeah, feeling about that. Um, I did a couple of videos on that too, because it's a very common question that I get from empaths. and and this is a hard message a lot of times for empaths. Um, i I really do believe that the way we talk about narcissist is unkind, and it's it's the conversation that we have about empath sensitives or narcissists or what's known as codependence and narcissists is a really unproductive conversation because we we end up dehumanizing a narcissist. And whenever we dehumanize someone, the capacity for healing is lost. And so so I, I come right in and I don't I don't even like to have the the whole, you know, demonizing narcissist kind of conversation because at the end of the day the the truth that's the aha moment for any sensitive or any empath is that if a narcissist comes into my life then we are magnetized to each other through the resonance of the universe that means that me, and, I, and I'll, uh, I, like to, I like to use the metaphor of a puzzle piece. So when I am, not all empaths attract narcissists. So then the question is, what type of empath attracts a narcissist? And it's always the disempowered empath, the empath that doesn't know who he or she is. So a disempowered empath will have a certain configuration, a certain puzzle piece energetically. And that puzzle piece happens to fit perfectly with the puzzle piece of a narcissist. And so then the next question is why on earth would I attract a narcissist? Because this has been some of the most painful relationship, the most horrible thing that's ever happened to me. And it's really hard for me to believe that I resonated. I magnetized that person to me and that person magnetized me to them. So what's going on? How is this possible? Well, the narcissist ends up being the best teacher that a disempowered empath can have, because what a narcissist does the, the power trip of a narcissist is a narcissist derives their worth from taking power away from others. That That is the definition energetically or spiritually of a narcissist. So a narcissist derives their power from taking it away from others. And so usually when I say that, empaths will be like, yep, that's, that's right. That describes a narcissist to the T. And then I say, okay, what's the power trip of the disempowered empath? And then the person goes, power trip? I don't have a power trip. I don't have no power trip. And I'll say, yes, you do. What is your power trip as a disempowered empath? And the power trip that makes them fit like a puzzle piece with a narcissist is that the the disempowered empath derives their power from giving it away. And so look at how that fits really well with a narcissist. If a disempowered empath only feels slightly good about themselves when they are taking care of someone else or when they are giving everything of themselves to someone else, if that's the only way that they feel somewhat useful in the world, then of course, through the resonance of the universe, they are going to attract to them someone who takes power. And so the energy exchange here is perfect according to the laws of the universe. So what's the issue? Is the, is the narcissist the issue? Nope. Because as soon as I start to come into my power and I say, I don't have to give all of myself in order to be loved. I don't have to give my power away in order to feel valuable and worthy. I deserve to be here and I am unconditionally loved as I am. I don't need to be necessary for someone else. I don't need to be someone else's caretaker. I don't need to be someone else's doormat. No, 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 no you know, as soon as they start to come into their power, then suddenly their puzzle piece changes configuration and they no longer fit with that narcissist. So either the narcissist then has to wake up and say, wait a minute, what I'm doing isn't correct. And I don't like the way that I'm doing this. So I'm going to change the way that I am so that I can stay in relationship with this person. And we could both heal. That happens too or the empath, when they come into their power, their puzzle piece configuration changes. And if the narcissist doesn't wanna change, they exit the person's life. And so that changes everything when we have a conversation like that, because what I've noticed from so many clients that I've worked with is that if they keep the story that the narcissist is the big bad person And I'm really sensitive and they just abused me. If that's the story, then what's going to happen time after time is the person's going to get out of one narcissistic relationship and a week or a month or a year down the road, they're going to attract another one because the universe will always bring to you what you most need to heal. And so that's kind of the story around, you know, narcissism, codependency, and disempowered empaths is once you really understand that both parties are having an energy exchange for their own interests, the story changes, everything changes.
0: Hmm. Absolutely. I like that. That's a That was really, um, I've had similar thoughts, but that was a lot um more comprehensive than I think I've ever, I've ever heard it talked about. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And it also made me think, like, you have this wonderful science public health background. But all of this that you just shared, could not have come from that. (laughs) Could (laughs) could could you give us some insight into how you came to be in in this world or what sort of sources you drew from?
1: Yeah. So um, I had always had these sensitivities as a child. Uh, So it's a little bit of my, you know, a gift that I have from, from, you know, my little toolbox. Um, My grandmother, I have multiple women in my family that have spiritual sensitivities. And so part of the reason why I suffered a lot as a child was because, you know, I was seeing things, I was experiencing the spirit world. And I, you know, combined with, you know, the problematic childhood that I had, it was just a lot and so what I ended up doing out of fear is I tried to shut that door to, to my spiritual gifts down. Um, and so what better way to do that than to go into science where- <laughs> where if it's not proven, it doesn't exist. (laughs) And so I, I did that for a really long time. I just went down the hard science route, but I I never really lost my spiritual sensitivities. You can't close, you can't close the door to your gifts. You know, it's just like any other gift. If you, if, you know, if your gift is to play piano, it doesn't matter how long you are away from a piano. You still, you know how to play, you know, you just have that in you. Um, And so, So I, you know, went down this road, went down the science route, I I was still connected to my intuition somewhat, because I went into the healing world, you know, I went into the helping profession. So I I was still somewhat connected to my intuition. But it was not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't, it wasn't in that uh, kind of spiritual way, really. It wasn't until my life fell apart where I just kind of sat down and I said, okay, (laughs) this hasn't worked out so well. (laughs) It was those moments when your life completely falls apart and you start to question, you know, whether you want your path to continue going down the same way. And I remember one of the first things that I did when my life fell apart, I was uh, lying in bed in the dark. I had my beautiful great Dane with me and she loved to sleep on the bed. And she was just this enormous beast uh, that I love so much. And she, you know, was lying there. And I remember I was in the dark in my bedroom and I was just staring up at the ceiling and I just started to talk to spirit. And I said, you know, um, clearly my life has not worked out very well by me using the mind and blocking all of these things. So, uh, I, I, I open the door, show me whatever you want. And that was really the beginning of kind of my, my spiritual journey, my, you know, going into my spiritual gifts. Um, and it's, it's just, you know, I think the moment that I surrendered to that and the moment that I said, all right, I'm opening this door, whatever this door is, I'm opening it, Um, I started to understand and to kind of go into what my natural spiritual gifts were, but also developed more. Um, And so, you know, that kind of got us to where we are today, really, (laughs) where I am today.
0: Amazing. Well, would you like to share with everyone how they can find out more about you, connect with you? Yeah, yeah. So in the podcast description box, so it's a link, but you can say it too.
1: Cool, cool. So probably the the easiest way to to just um you know if if people are curious about my videos and want to get into my my YouTube uh, channel is to just you know go on YouTube and just put in Christina Lopes and you'll find me pretty quickly on YouTube. You can also go on my website christinalopes.com um and you can find me find me there pretty quickly we've got a ton of things going on the website uh we've got lots of free meditations that people love to download um to start their practice we have some courses so there's a lot going on in the website so people can connect with me there or they can connect with me on instagram too i mean i'm i'm pretty i'm pretty uh, active on instagram also
0: wonderful. I will share all those links. So that's easy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much. See y'all in the next episode. Thanks, Christina. Thanks. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing on the platform of your choosing and leaving us a comment. This helps considerably for all the algorithms to figure out just how valuable it is. Thank you for participating. To keep in touch with me and receive updates, please sign up for my newsletter at portersinger.com. You'll get a free download, updates on my self-healing sound courses, workshops, and other community building events that I'm creating. Have a beautiful day.